Hello and welcome to Hot Rod Bible Study where we're just getting done having a long conversation. We almost forgot what time it was. So anyway, what's that? FAA shutdown. Oh, FAA shutdown is what we were talking all about. Anyway, with that, hello and uh, glad you're here. Uh, We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're going verses 13 through 30 uh, tonight. Uh, And it starts off under the heading of uh, believers or salt and light. So with that, let's open with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. And this time we get to spend being in your word. We thank you for your presence here among us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you open our hearts and our minds to your word and that you would send the Holy Spirit down on us, uh, especially me, Lord, to keep me out of the way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, again, here we are, Matthew chapter 5, beginning of the 13th verse, where it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, And then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. And finally, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. 
For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Boy, some pretty strong words from Jesus. And so let's look at those words a little closer. Again, verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Um, in, in Jesus' day, salt was a very highly valued commodity, so much so that Roman soldiers were even being paid in salt. They were paid their wages in salt. Hence the, uh, the saying, somebody being worth their salt. Okay. Um, it uh, is really used as a preservative uh, to keep things from decay. Is help. You know, you can remember probably if you read anything about uh, old sailors having salt pork on their on the ships and things like that, and that's what were those pioneers who came across in Conestoga wagons built by Studebaker, uh, they too uh, used salt pork to keep all this before refrigeration. Okay, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled on underfoot by men. Uh, sometimes when the salt was bad, you know, because it had a lot of impurities, and so what it was then used as a uh, covering on the roadways. And that, you know, kind of think about salt. I think about Bonneville Salt Flats. Okay. Uh, when I first went up there with some friends in 1979, the salt up there was thick. It was wonderful. This was our first um, uh, uh, time up there. And we thought, man, this is the way it's always going to be. Well, I have to say the last time I drove up there was in 2017. And my friend said I set a record, and uh, but it wasn't a speed record. It was a distance record because it took me four miles to get to the three-mile because there was no traction, there was no salt, there was nothing. The salt is useless, okay? So that's a way that I look at salt, too, is when, just from experiences up at Bonneville this past year, it got rained out. It's a terrible deal. But anyway, that's the deal. Salt, we are the salt of the earth. We are. Now, catch this when we get to the next verse. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Okay, we're not an inherent light. What does that mean? Well, it means we are a reflective light where we reflect the light of Christ. We are not born with this light in us. We are not inherent in that. Actually, we're inherently sinners. But when we come to Christ, we are now reflective of his light. Okay. Now, um, and what does the light do? Well, it drives away darkness. The light of Christ drives away darkness. Um, you might experience this at times when you're in some area where there's a lot of demonic going on the darkness. Well, you come into the room and you're reflecting the light of Christ, you're going to end up with spiritual warfare because Satan doesn't want that light shining, okay? Um, it goes on to talk about, you know, a city set on a hill. Well, that's a reference to Jerusalem and also a reference you might think back. I think most everybody watching this is old enough to 
remember when President Reagan was in office, or they were close by after that, and he referred to the United States as a city on the hill shining as well, because at the time, we were doing our best to be uh, one of moral uh, standards, which are have changed, which is, yeah, just to say the least. Uh, the standards haven't changed, but we as a nation have changed. Okay. Verse 15 says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Remember, all means all. That's all all means. When you are the reflective light of Christ, you're reflecting this onto all around you. Okay, hide it under a basket. Uh, <laughs> I can remember the Sunday school song, this little gospel light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it, hide it under a bush. Oh no, I'm going to let it shine. This was, this was good stuff. You know, this is stuff learned back when little kid in Sunday school. But that's the whole thing. You don't hide your light. You don't hide your light. So in putting it on a lampstand and they're, they're talking about lamps. You know, back then it was a whole different thing. Think of a menorah. You know, they have all the different tubes going out. Well, that's because there's oil down here and it's supplying oil to all these lights. And this is what a light stand is. Okay. It's not elect electrified light. It's, uh, you know, natural light. Interestingly enough, it brings to mind, um, my mother talked about when their church in Boone, Iowa ended up being electrified and all the candles on the altar were now electrified as well. Isn't that interesting? She thought that was really great. To me, it seems kind of rinky dink than having, having a real candle, but that was really, that, that was the latest thing. Okay. Verse 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Don't hide it. Um, Spurgeon says this, this is kind of interesting. Uh, this is talking about early Christians. It talks about what a lampstand was found for Christianity in the martyrdoms, martyrdoms of the Colosseum, in the public burnings by pagans and by the papists, and in all other modes by which believers in Christ were forced into flame. Hmm, public burnings. Okay, remember uh, Nero, real neat, Caesar, real wonderful man would light Christians on fire to light the Appian Way. This is no lie. Uh, and in talking about the Papists, well, remember when the Protestant Reformation was going on, actually pretty much a hundred years before that, when they're saying, hey, no, this, what you guys are doing here isn't in scripture, had guys like uh, John Hus, who was burned at the stake for saying, hey, you guys aren't following this right. You know, people were burned at the stake. You know, it was not an uncommon thing. Led to being forced into the flame. Okay. Now, what I want you to notice, we look back on verse 13 and 14. It doesn't say that you become the salt of the earth or that you become the light of the world. It says, Jesus says that we are salt and light. That means those of us who are disciples, those of us who are followers of Jesus, are called to be salt and light. And again, salt is the opposite of corruption. 
We're to be out against that. We were just talking about that earlier this evening, about all the stuff that goes on. We can't roll over as Christians. We have to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. Uh, case in point, I might as well just let her rip. Case in point, the drag queen story time stuff. We need to speak up against that because it is wrong. That is corruption. Okay, and also light being called to be salt and light. We're against corruption. And we're also to be a light to the world, reflecting the light of Christ being a guidance to the world. And guess what? That's a large responsibility. You know, being a Christian is absolutely wonderful that we are, we are guaranteed our salvation. You know, we are guaranteed our salvation. We will be in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But it's also a very large responsibility to follow him as Lord so that others will see. It says, you know, what is it? Let the good works, um, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They don't want to have you come up as being, you know, there's so many guys. And it's... We're all sinners who get caught in things like that. And I say, oh, that shows how Christians, you know, you get a, a television preacher who gets caught, caught in sin. And, oh, that just shows how all Christians are. Well, yeah, we all are sinners. You know, it's like, <laughs> like uh, I'll tell this story that guy I know, a, a vowed atheist and a pastor friend of mine, Pastor Ed Ray, was coming up and talking to him and, Guy says, well, you know, I mean, I know you mean everything, but the problem is, is that you're just all messed up. And he didn't say messed. Okay. And he just drives off in a hurry. And Ed turns to somebody else and says, exactly. We are. Every one of us. Every one of us is messed up and we need Jesus. Verse 17. He goes on. Jesus goes on. I say this. I love this. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He only came in this to question man's interpretations of the law. You think, you know, especially the uh, extra things are being placed on people. The Pharisees were placing on people the extra laws, but concerning, concerning Sabbath, you know, how, you know, you can't, oh, I, there, there's so many things. You can't do any work. Well, what does, they, so they define what work is. Well, work is, you know, you you can't, you know, go water your plants or something like that. What a, you know, they just load all this other stuff. And this is Jesus saying, this is baloney. This is not what it was intended to be. And he says he didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. Remember, Jesus fulfilled over 320 specific Old Testament prophecies. Here he is. He didn't come to fulf- to destroy but to fulfill the law prophets. Verse 18, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Okay, what is a jot? Well, it's about the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and a tittle is a mark, like crossing a T or dotting an I. And all these things are to be fulfilled. Um, it goes goes on here that by no means they 
These things will not pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Let's, uh, let's look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8's got a lot of neat stuff in it. We're going to have to do a, we're going to have to do a study on Romans again here before too long. So Romans 8 verses 3 and 4 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We walk according to the light that is shining, that is reflected by us in Christ. Wow. Verse 19 says, Whoever therefore breaks at least one of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The Message Bible puts it this way, trivialize even the smallest item in God's law and you will only have, get this, trivialized yourself. Hmm. But take it seriously and show the way for others and you will find honor in the kingdom. Okay, so here it is. It's talking about if you break the least of these commandments and you teach others. So you're teaching others to do these things, right? What does that mean? That means you're a false teacher. And, and here's something that addresses that. We're going to look in 2 Timothy. I don't know why I folded that over. Anyway, 2 Timothy. Uh, come on. Got it in here. I thought I had it marked. I'll get there. Come on, Willie. 2 Timothy. Oh, come on. Why is my fingers, why are my fingers not working? Why am I not getting there? This is embarrassing. There we go. Gosh. You know, when you beat your fingers up your entire life, sometimes they just don't work so real well. But 2 Timothy 4, let's look at verses 3 and 4, where it says, and here it is, and it's talking about today. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. The false teachers. And guess what? There's... Plenty of them out there. If you cannot, if you remember, scripture, scripture, interpret scripture. And if you can't, if what they're teaching doesn't add up. And, and by the way, again, keep me in check in this. If something that I say sounds wonky to you and you can't find it in scripture, please get a hold of me and let's talk about this. And hopefully I can explain where I was going with it. Okay. Now. They will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven, just like we're talking about trivializing things. Um, it doesn't say they're not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that interesting? But it's going to be called the least, because what's happening is they're being lazy and also teaching what is 
There are other people's itching ears. Can there be people who are teaching things improperly who love the Lord and will know him, you know, will will be in heaven with him? Sure, sure. Because uh, otherwise we'd have to be perfect, right? And if we had to be perfect to get into heaven, there'd be no reason for Jesus to be in for us. Okay, verse 20 goes on to say, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So does that mean we need to strive towards uh, perfectionism again so we can get in? No, 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 no. How do we exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? One way. Through Jesus, through the righteousness of Christ. That's it. It's the only way that we can do that. Now, recognize that the scribes and Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time who, guess what, were all show and no go. Because here they were, they had their positions, and they looked really good, and they got all of these wonderful things because they were in the position of authority, religious uh, leaders, and they had all this stuff. And they're trying to look good, but all show and no go. Why? Well, they didn't recognize Jesus as Messiah. That's not to say all, all Pharisees. That's not to say it. Remember, we had uh, Joseph of Arimathea, right? Uh, we also had, oh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm having a, a blank. But um, Nicodemus comes and talks to Jesus. And he didn't want everybody else to know he was doing it, but he knew. He knew what was going on. I got these, there's guys who were Pharisees. Well, okay, another great one. Paul, he didn't realize it until later, until he had his come to Jesus moment on the road to Damascus. Uh, but here he was, a Pharisee of Pharisees who was uh, persecuting the church, sending those of the way, those who were um, followers of Christ, sending them to their death imprisonment and death, and he came around. So, again, um, we just can't be falling into what uh, the false teachers are, are teaching. Okay, verse 21. Now, this is something that's pretty interesting. You have heard that it was said of those of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall, will be in danger of the judgment. Now, Remember, most of these folks didn't have scriptures. They certainly didn't have this. Remember, they didn't have this written down yet. Okay, we have the benefit of having all 66 of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible that we can study. They didn't have this benefit. They had to listen to what the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching them. Same thing happens today. A friend of mine talked about how he was uh, trying to get his mother into reading the Bible, not just going to church. And her response was that Padre will tell me what I need to know. That's pretty scary. And that happens. A lot of people do that. Man, that's how things get all wonky. That's how, that's why they had this stuff. That's why they had back in the 16th century with people selling indulgences. Okay. Give me. Five ducats, and that'll cover your sins, these certain sins. You can do this. That's baloney. It says nothing about that there. But they sure were able to finance St. Peter's Basilica by selling those indulgences. Isn't that an interesting thing? Hmm. 
and down to scratch. Okay, now, and it goes on to say in verse 22, but I tell you that whoever, wait a minute, how did I do this? Oh yeah, now there it is. But I tell you that, no, what am I doing here? No, I'm there. Okay, forgive me. I, I'm just a little bit confused tonight. And forgive me. Okay. It says, but I tell you, verse 22. And Jesus is showing his authority by saying, I said this, right? I say to you that whoever's angry with his brother, a fellow believer, a fellow believer, right? Without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Okay. Now, here's the deal. Jesus is exposing, this is what Morgan says, Jesus is exposing the essence of the scribes' heresy. To them, the law was really only a matter of external performance. Again, all show, no go. Never the heart. Jesus brings the law back to the matters of the heart. The supervision of the kingdom does not mean, not does not begin by arresting a criminal with blood-red hands. It arrests the man in whom the murder spirit is born. Okay, so this is a thought. You're heading down this road. Jesus is saying, this is a heart problem more than anything else. When you act out on it, sure, it's worse. But it begins in the heart, and you need to cut that out. Okay, now, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Raka, what does that mean? Well, literally, it means empty head. It's calling another brother, another believer in Christ, a nitwit, an idiot, all these kind of things. It goes on to say, though, but if whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. It's pretty much watch what you say. You know, if you're like me, you can chew on shoe leather by making rash statements without having all the facts. And sometimes you can call somebody raka. I'll have to start using that. I think that's pretty good. Oh, rocka. Well, anyway, uh, without really knowing what's, what's going on. And again, this is speaking of fellow believers. Now, therefore, and this is great. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go on your way. First be reconciled with your brother and then come to offer your gift. Again, what is Jesus saying here? He is saying that it is better to be reconciled, be reconciled with fellow believers than it is to go through some sort of a, um, of a religious duty, fulfilling a religious duty, bringing your, your offering. It is better to get accounts squared away with fellow believers than it is to fulfill some sort of religious duty. Again, it's about the heart. 25 says, agree with your adversary quickly. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 26 and 7, and hopefully my fingers will work a lot better here. There we go. Where it says, be angry and do not sin. You've heard this. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. So in other words, square these things away quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your 
the adversary delivers you, delivers you over to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer and be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Again, sell your disputes with believers early, fellow believers early, or it may not that you feel the full wrath of the law. Makes sense. Take care of it early. Verse 27. If you, you have heard, it was said to those of old, again, said to the people, because again, they weren't, they didn't have the benefit of scripture such as we do, but you have heard this is what he is saying. You shall not commit adultery. That's absolutely true. But I say to you that whoever looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Now, here's something that David Guzik said about this, pointed out, and I think it's really worth bringing forward, is that he says it's important to understand that Jesus is not saying that the act of adultery and adultery in the heart are the same thing. Again, just like Jesus was saying the act of murder and the hating of your brother, it's not the same thing. But it's doing is talking about your heart. And it says, and here's the deal with adultery. It says, more than a few people have been deceived on this point and say, well, I've already committed adultery in my heart, so I might as well do it in practice. The act of adultery is far worse than the adultery in the heart. His point's not to say that Jesus' point is not to say that they're the same things, but to say that they're both sin and both prohibited by the commandment, again, against murder and a commandment against adultery. Okay? They're both prohibited. It's not that, and this, this is really a point of that. Wow, that, that's really got to be something. Well, I've already committed adultery in my heart, so I might as well do it in practice. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. And in verse 29, you go here too, that if your right eye causes you to sin, plug it out and cast it from you. It's more profitable for, for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And for your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast in hell. Well, it seems to me that that means that what's going on in uh, the Middle East with uh, the Muslims, where they cast off, cut off your hand or something like that when you've been caught stealing, is justified by this. No, 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 no. Jesus is using hyperbole there. You may have heard of this to make this point. Uh, but what he is truly saying is that we must be willing to sacrifice things to be obedient. Think of the parable of the rich young ruler where he comes up to Jesus and says, well, what do I need to be saved? He says, well, you got to follow all these commandments. And the rich young ruler says, well, I've done that since I was a little kid. He says, what else do I got to do? He says, well, sell off all your stuff and come follow me. And the rich young ruler guy went away with his head down because he had all this stuff and he didn't want to get rid of it. So who is his God? That's where it all comes down to. We need to be able to sacrifice things. I'm not saying, I'm not saying go out and sell all your hot rods, go out and sell whatever thing you have so you can follow Christ. That's not what Christ is saying. But if all that stuff gets in between you and Christ, then it is an idol and you need to get rid of it. 
need a sacrifice. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Because to be obedient, we need, again, to submit. Oh, that's a word that all of us hot rodders hate. But we need to submit to Jesus. And it's hard to understand that by submitting to somebody that we can become truly free. And the only way to do that is submit yourself to Christ. So there we are. We're through part two of the Sermon on the Mount. And next week we have another Toby Continued and carry on. So uh, with that, I have to ask for questions, comments, smart aleck remarks, things being thrown from the peanut gallery. Anything else? No, it doesn't seem that way. Again, please, and, and I truly mean this, if there's something that you would like to say or anything, please get a hold of me. I'm open. I am open. And speaking of that, I had a, a request for a prayer earlier this week for a uh, friend of the Hot Rod study by the name of Randy Cunningham. Many of you, many of you might know him from the Rick Shaw's Car Club, um, who was in hospital, been hospitalized this past week with COVID, and they didn't ventilate him, but they were putting a feeding tube down in him, and pretty tough deal. Uh, not accepting phone calls or anything like that. Got a phone call today saying that he is doing better, eating on his own, able to smile and do all these different things, still not accepting phone calls, but prayers are working. Please continue to pray for Randy Cunningham, which is what we're going to do right now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we come before you knowing that you are the great physician and that you're the healer of all. And Lord, we pray your continued healing touch on Randy, we thank you for the healing that he has received so far. And Lord, we just pray that he feel your presence right now. That's the best healing there can be is you being in your presence. So Lord, we lift Randy up to you. And again, we thank you for what you have done so far. So good. And Lord, with that, I want to pronounce a blessing on everybody here. Again, Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And again, give you his peace, one that surpasses all understanding. Amen.